Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in the public sector. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome once again to In Transition, the podcast that examines the practice of content marketing in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and thanks again for giving up a little bit of your time this week to spend with me. This week, we go inside and we look at how content and content marketing can be used to assist internal communications and change management programs with one of Australia's leading change management experts. But before we get to that, as we do each week, a definition of what content marketing is as it relates to government and the public sector. Content marketing is a strategic, measurable and accountable business process that relies on the creation, curation and distribution of useful, relevant and consistent content. The purpose is to engage and inform a specific audience in order to achieve a desired citizen and or stakeholder action, or as it is in this case today, the people who work in your organisation. So our guest today is Kim Muller, an Executive Director of Synergy Group Australia, where he specialises in change management. Kim previously worked as Associate Director for KPMG in Australia and was Director of Consulting with Oakton. Kim's experience in change management is extensive. He has worked on projects for the Department of Defence, the Department of Health, Uh, the Customs Department here in Australia, Telstra, which is Australia's biggest phone company, and more. And Kim is also currently the ACT chapter lead of the Change Management Institute. Kim Muller, thanks very much for joining us in Transition. Yeah, thanks very much. Kim, perhaps your story first. Uh, You know, how is it that you found your way into change management and your expertise in change management? Wow, that's a long story. Okay, well, (laughs) let's go. I must say, I I actually started, when I got out of university, I actually started for a radio station working in the the radio industry. So I learnt a lot about repetitive that drip feed approach to, to I guess, uh, content. Um, in this case, it was for advertising content, um, uh, and and just that consistent consistency approach to to um, getting a message across. Um, th- I guess um, over the years then I've uh, worked in that consulting space in the change management space but I also had my own business for a long time um, and uh, we were a national business, had three offices around the country. Uh, it was all in the uh, recruitment space um, but there was a lot of change management associated with that where we were transitioning staff from one office to a new office um, where we were working with major major international customers and we were having to deliver I guess a, some content and information about who we were and how we operate and how we could help them and all those sorts of things. Um, right through to then becoming a practitioner, I guess, of change management where we've, you know, where I was involved in some of the largest ICT transformations, um, business transformations, um, uh, HR shared service transformations. These are big transformations of big organisations, um, moving them to from one paradigm to a new paradigm completely, I guess, and requiring a whole lot of behavioural change um, and uh, and part of that process for behavioural change is obviously going through a, becoming aware of what needs to be changed, um, uh, uh, understanding what needs to be changed, um, understanding how to change um, and then starting to become empowered and bought into the whole process of change, you know, the change um, 
whatever that change is. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. So uh, you've you've outlined a couple of the things that I I've uh, where I've worked, um, uh, and it's it's just been a fun ride the whole way through. I must admit. So at the moment we're we're in this really, um, I suppose hyper change period where technology is driving such a rapid transformation. And we'll come to the discussion around content and how content can be used to engage internal audiences to help them down that path as as you've described it. Uh, But just at that sort of overarching high level um, perspective at the moment, how well do you think organisations are coping with this dramatic transformational change that technology is delivering? I think it depends on the organisation and how okay. well they are geared and set up for, for that change. You know, it's an old terminology, but, you know, change is now the, you know, is the norm. And some organisations actually manage change very well and it just becomes part of their operating procedures and, and the way they are and the way they um, function they take into account all of that change on a daily basis. Other organisations and those folks that work in those organisations are not as well geared for change and they need a little bit more help along the way when, when you know, as change and as technology kind of um, overtakes them. Because it's interesting, isn't it? I, you know, we're only a small company here in, in, in Canberra, Australia. We're, you know, 14 people. We've, you know, got a number of contractors who work with us as well. But I think it's only recently that I've I've come to the point of having to accept the fact that this notion of change being a consistent and persistent force within the organisation is something that you're really just going to have to wrap your heads around it. So I know it's unsettling for me and we're only a small company. How do big organisations like government organisations get their heads around the fact that, you know, it's going to be a you know, uh, your friend, it's going to be there and you're not going to be able to get away from this need to continually reassess and change the way that you go about things. Yeah, how do they? Uh, Again, it kind of depends. Leadership. Leadership. It's got to start with the leadership. Um, And uh, we say, or we used to say for a long time, leadership is no longer optional. You, You need somebody who is leading this thing. And it doesn't have to be a hierarchical thing. It doesn't have to be a person at the top of the tree, but you need people in there who are taking a leadership role in in the change and whatever is changing or whatever needs to change or um, indeed if you know if you're actually going through a, a period of well actually we're just going to embed what we've got now and just go through that and allow ourselves not to worry about what's going to change next the leadership has to be involved in that no no questions absolutely uh, uh, non not non-negotiable these days in fact um, I must admit um, I started the change management community of practice here in the ACT um, some 10 years ago, I guess, with a couple of people we sat around the table. And change management and, and the notion of change wasn't really even a concept in those days. We had project management and we had formal project management, but the notion of formal change and change management didn't exist in those days. And we spent I must, our journey over the last 10 years has been very interesting in terms of the way change managers and the practice the practice of change is, is starting to become much more of a formal um, uh, discipline if you like and and a required discipline particularly for those major capabilities that in our case government develop over time or want to develop um, they they see now that uh, change management is, is just as necessary as project management wow. to to uh, build that capability if on the project management side and then to uh, deliver that capability to the business, whomever they are, and get the business to adopt that capability. 
So generally is the change management process or capability run out of the HR area of organisations? Not, not typically, not, not okay. in government. No, not in government. Typically, uh, um, in some cases, yes, and that's, sort of, that's certainly an organisational development and, uh, and uh, an organisational capability kind of question. But typically where most of the change has been coming from, particularly over the last 10 years, has been through the ICT world. So I call it ICT-led change. Um, and typically ICT is the one that's been funded best in this sort of town, in this organ, you know, in Canberra. Um, so nominally a lot of the change and a lot of the change I've been associated with has actually come through from and been driven by the ICT folks. Um, not necessarily the business, and it should be the business side, but it's often, in the last sort of 10 years, it's very much been around the ICT space. And so those change projects that you've been largely involved in are, what, the introduction of these bigger ICT systems, that sort of thing? Big ICT systems and capabilities um, to enable business, yep. Okay. So apart from leadership... What are the other qualities that need to be in place in order to deliver successful change? Um, so a, a disciplined approach to change management, um, and that's where the, those change management practitioners come in. Um, the big levers of change, if you like, are uh, excellent stakeholder engagement, stakeholder management, um, organisational alignment to make sure the business processes and the systems and the people um, uh, facilities aspects are aligned from the old state, if you like, to the new state. Uh, uh, good change governance. Um, and then you get into things like uh, uh, training. So good good uh, amount of training. And last but certainly not least, and, and really underpins the whole lot, is, is communications. Communications, communications, a whole lot of communications. Um, which doesn't necessarily drive behavioural change, but it starts the journey off in terms of raising awareness, awareness of what's changing, how it's changing, how people get involved in the change, what and how they start to adopt and buy in, I guess, over time of okay. whatever that capability or change might be. Now, that might be a useful point then to, to introduce this notion of content and the ability to be able to create useful, relevant, consistent content, you know, be it video, audio, stills, text, graphics, multiple channels, offline channels such as events, public relations, advertising, printed materials. Uh, this is content marketing, and obviously it's a it's a lens and an approach that we've generally looked at how we influence external, but increasingly in our business, we're finding that there's real value in just taking the same process and putting it inside and directing that audience, understanding that specific needs of the audience. So is it you can achieve that desired behaviour um, that the organisation is looking for as part of that change program. So how have you seen or how have you noticed the change of how content is used uh, to achieve change? So again, over the last sort of 10, 15 years, um, it's gone from a fairly ad hoc approach to uh, deliver, uh, development and delivery. Um, in particular in the ICT space, it's usually, or in back 10 years ago, it was the last thing they thought of, right? So yeah. um, it's let's develop the capability and drop it over the fence to the business. Oh, we better do some communications. And usually it's well and truly too late for, by then. Um, and that's the same with the stakeholder engagement, the organisational alignment aspects comms in those days or communications and or the development of and delivery or consistent delivery of communications was an afterthought. Do you think what not valued or just not understood? Not not understood, I think, is probably uh, or the value of it hasn't been well understood. 
um, it's starting to become much more recognised as, as a discipline, um, uh, a required discipline, if you like, particularly on these large transformations, these big ICT implementations um, where people n know or, or it's starting to rec get recognised that you need to bring people on at the beginning of the journey or bring capability on at the beginning of the journey so that the messaging can be crafted properly. It can be um, uh, delivered in a consistent way, um, uh, avoid all of the tangled messages that often occurs with ICT um, or other change implementations um, and and have a planned approach to it, I guess, ultimately, um, so that it is delivered in a drip format. So it, we all know that people don't get it the first time or don't hear it the first time, so you've got to keep coming back around the boy with that messaging uh, through various channels and, and mechanisms that you're delivering those, you know, those comms on. Um, I, I used to say, and I still do actually, um, in terms of change management, um, uh, I see it as a spectrum, I guess, between cultural change on the right-hand side, if you like, um, and ICT-led change on the left-hand side. Cultural change, really hard. Um, ICT-led change, really complex. And getting your comms capability on board early to understand that complexity and then simplifying that for for the business um, through the introduction makes a huge difference. Now, you said 10 years ago, not well understood, not well accepted, but things have improved. How well have they improved and how well is it understood that, in fact, this capability um, is not just, you know, at the end in terms of get, get us a brochure, but in fact, you know, thinking logically and clearly through, you know, objectives and then tying audience and audience understanding channels, et cetera, to helping you to achieve those overarching objectives. How well or how far developed do you think this application of this way of thinking and doing things is? I think, uh, I think it's still got a ways to go. To, and there are pockets of fabulous examples where where um, uh, uh, people have, or uh, experts have been brought on board early, um, and they've distilled the information down into something that's manageable, and then they've put it uh, put a plan in place to distribute that on a consistent basis, you know, through various mechanisms and channels. Um, Probably the other thing that's muddying the waters at the moment is there are so many new channels and and so many new ways to distribute content internally, both internally and externally. Mm. And in some ways, in some cases, um, some of our um, uh, customers, if you like, are still grappling with all of those potential channels um, or or still introducing some of those channels, in fact. Um, mm. In some cases, they they you know they, they haven't even implemented some of that sort of capability in-house. So I'm thinking... Uh, and maybe it's a specific example that's not relevant, but I'm thinking of the Yammers, you know, so internal Facebook, if you like. Um, <laughs> a lot of those things haven't even been introduced or understood properly, um, in, in, particularly in government. Um, and that that's a really, they can be really powerful um, uh, channels to push particular, you know, content and information or, or point people at particular content and information. So I think it's still an evolving journey. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in some cases, particularly around government, they're still catching up, I guess, in terms of uh, how, to, how to understand all of that, put it together and get something that works for them. Can you give us a, a, perhaps an example of, of a project where it's worked really well, where it's been quite thoughtful and, and what was put in place in, in order for the successful change to have been achieved? 
internally, particularly on the ICT side, yeah. it's, it's few, a little bit few and far between. Yeah. Um, th- there are some really fantastic campaigns out there where governments actually, from an external kind of, um, from an external perspective, have identified an external audience and there's change management associated with those. For example, the smoking yep. campaign. Yep. There's been an awful lot been done in that space where it's actually been quite successful, I think. I mean, we've seen the smoking rates drop and, and I would have thought in no part because of the campaigns that have been put in place. And, and they've been constant, consistent. They've been hammered out over the last few years, number of years, to actually drive down that sort of smoking rate that they've been aiming at. When it comes to the internal kind of communications, I'm just trying to think of a great example where it's been done particularly well. Um, I was associated with, um, I won't name the organisation or government department, sure. um, where uh, an HR shared service was implemented. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps it was a little late to the game um, uh, in that respect, but once once it started firing up, I guess, um, its approach to communications, developing the content, structuring it in a way that the audiences under, you know, that could understand, understanding who the audiences were, um, and then starting to hammer it out on a consistent basis. Um, that particular audience, very large, very distributed across the nation, internal to government, um, uh, they started to get it, um, particularly with some really key products that were designed to hit the market or hit the mark, um, uh, and then reused in different ways to be able to get those folks to understand what it was that was changing, how their job was impacted, and so on and so forth. But it was getting a few key pieces of content in this case um, and and then recasting it in different ways so that different people, well, the same people would hear it in different ways and, and mm. it would start to gel, I guess, over time. But obviously driven by a very good understanding of the audience and the needs of that audience in order to get them to behave in the way that you were hoping to get them to behave. Yeah. It might seem like a simple con, uh, a simple, um, a simple thing to do to slice and dice your audience. There's a little bit of art. Uh, and there's a and and there's a fair bit of science involved. But if you don't put those two together, it's easy to see your audience as very homogenous, or you don't slice it, um, or, or um, uh, you, you don't you don't slice and dice your audience properly, so that you don't reach them effectively. Yeah. Um, so it can it requires a fair bit of effort to, as I say, a bit of art and a bit of science to to try and decide and define who your audience is, how you're going to access them, how. How do they consume information? You know, how is it that is going to best serve, serve them in terms of the distribution of information? So the example that I just gave there, um, uh, they had folks right around right around Australia, and in some cases around the globe, um, and they were they consumed information in different ways. And so we we actually had to come up with a, a way that they. A, receive the information and B, they can consume it in a really quick and easy way. Uh, and I might actually make a point that um, content has changed a little bit as well. It used to be, particularly in government, it used to be reams of information and they and there was an expectation that your audience would just read it all. Um, and that's just simply not the case anymore. We're all starting to be conditioned around reading, you know, 160 characters and things like that. Mm. Um, uh, so so the, it's becoming... I think it's becoming short. I think the successful communications campaigns are about distilling things down into shorter, sharper things that people can consume in their own time. Um, and that might not be at work. You know, t- traditionally we think of um, uh, 
the public service, if you like, in, in, in Canberra particularly, as being, um, let's say, nine to five people sitting at a desk. Well, no, that's no longer the case. They go home and they consume information. They continue to consume information and you need to be able to target those people out of hours just as well as in hours in that respect. So, yeah, uh, infographics and uh, have become a little bit of a you know, a bit of a buzzword, I guess, and people... But the reason they work really well is because they distill complex information down into some really simple, you know, simple messages that people can consume really quickly and easily. Mm. Um, and, and that, to some extent, is a bit of a, a key to to, um, uh, to successful communications, in, in particular for those ICT implementations. Um, but I'd also say... Uh, consistency in terms of keep delivering that messaging through whatever mechanisms you have in place or that you need to put in place um, and, and you know don't, don't expect that if you've delivered it once people have heard it and understood it you yeah, know because sure. you know. that is often the problem isn't it you know we're out of the gates and we go out of the gates hard and fast maybe for a week or two but then we think that the job is done when in actual fact when it's not until we're absolutely sick and tired of saying it or producing that information that we're actually getting close to perhaps people getting some sort of understanding. Yeah, no, I used to say, um, uh, and this probably comes out of my radio days, you know, uh, you'll get, we internal, you know, the people that are on the project or the program of work or whatever the case may be, they're going to get sick and tired of the messaging far quicker than the audience will. So, you know, they need to have heard it five times. You've heard it 500 times by the time you get to the end of the program. You have to be fully sick and tired of whatever that information is. But at that point in time, your audience probably just starting to get it. Mm. It's interesting. And this is probably just something to, to toss in here. And we will put the link in the show notes. But I listened to a great podcast over the weekend uh, by the Homes Report, the um, uh, sort of the analysis organisation that looks at public relations and marketing and advertising around the world. And they had a great interview with Rory Sutherland, who is the chairman of Ogilvy, um, based in, in the UK. And Rory Sutherland was making the very good point that he feels that or has felt that marketing and marketing approaches, you know, communications approaches have sold themselves short because they've been very much at the end of delivering value rather than up the other left-hand end of the spectrum where objectives are being uh, set, audiences are being understood, that it's really at that point that the value can be created, exactly what you're saying there before, and being able to set up these stakeholder engagement. And you were saying that it, not only is it a, a disciplined um, approach that's required, not only alignment of the old state with the new, but then excellent stakeholder engagement is really at the heart of successful change management. And really a content marketing approach where you are thinking very clearly about your objectives and linking those with your audience and the behaviour of your audience has to happen at that left-hand strategic edge. So I suppose the question out of that is, how do marketing people, content marketing people, communications people get their skills recognised and get a seat at the table when the strategies are being developed as opposed to being order takers at the end of it, as in, I need a brochure for this or get me a video for that because that's not the place that we want to be. We want to be up, we want to be sitting at the big table when the conversations are being take, uh, taking place. So how do we get the seat at the big table? 
Hmm. So a, a perennial problem at the moment, I guess, particularly for those big capability. When I say capability, it may not just be ICT capabilities. There, there are other business capabilities that need to be implemented. Um, perennial problem is is those things are sometimes developed in isolation. I guess of the corporate um, comms capability that an organisation has, um, and uh, they tend to be. Um, I'd hate to say it. They've traditionally been the order taker at the end of the process rather yeah. than, than muscling themselves well, into the process. Well, see, this is it. And I think that I think most comms people accept that really, um, and this is, I think, globally, really not taken seriously enough by, you know, the heads of government organisations who are largely economists or lawyers or other things, and they don't really have, you know, they don't perceive there to be this value, but really increasingly, given the changes that technology is making to communications and the fundamental role that communication now plays in all our lives, given we carry these supercomputers around in our pocket that enable us to be in contact with people. But it is that challenge. How do we get our way up up the decision-making sort of tree away from the order taker? So in, in, in government in particular, I'll talk about yeah. government as, a, yeah. as an experience there. Um, in, in government, typically the large programs of work go through a process of thinking about and designing what it is that that capability looks like. Um, and uh, and and then what's the return on investment for that capability? My my feeling is for uh, for us to get um, to be seen to be providing value is to get in in that that thinking that early conceptual stage of when you're conceiving whatever this capability is, you also need to cost in the the um, well I'll call it the change management so part of it and also. Uh, clearly articulate the return on investment because government does not spend money unless it, it can actually articulate some sort of return on investment in you know for those for those capabilities break it down to a point where comms and or uh, change from my point of view I guess is is articulated at the very beginning what you need to invest in uh, for that capability and what will the return on investment be um, and normally the return on investment ultimately is if you don't get people if you don't get people on the business side to adopt that capability or if you don't get customers of government to adopt that capability all you've got is a capability that sits in a corner um, and you need to be able to articulate the return on investment of those people adopting that capability mm. um, and I think that once you start to get on um, once you can define what that return on investment is for comms or stakeholder engagement or the the whole change management. Um, you won't you won't be able to move up the food chain, I guess, in that respect. And the other part of that is linking it to strategy, to the organisational output. What is the purpose of this organisation? How does that capability? Um, uh, how does that capability add to that purpose? And and what if you if you're not able to um, if you're not able to articulate that value, and not able to articulate the um, the value of communications or and or change to be able to adopt that capability, you know you're already you're already sunk. But in terms of defining a return on investment, are you talking about a like a hard and fast dollar figure that might be an est okay? So you have to get to the point of making a. A, a guesstimate, really, about the dollars that you think could be saved. For example, if you are able to to take uh, an effective content marketing approach, strategic communications approach, change management approach, what call it, whatever you will, and apply it at that early stage conceptual thinking, and you're able to improve the inputs from stakeholders because you've been able to, you know, create. 
uh, curate and distribute useful, relevant, consistent content to your stakeholders. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, you're getting better feedback at that earlier stage. It's pretty hard to try to then estimate, well, we don't know how badly things might have gone, but we know things are better than they possibly would have been. So how do I get my head around putting a figure around that? So I think you've got to link it to benefits and benefits realisation. So, And there, okay. is, there is an art, no, not an art, there is a science around benefits, benefits realisation, um, understanding what the benefits are to, to the implementation of this capability. And then you can understand what the opportunity loss is associated with not realising those benefits and breaking that down. So, I mean, Synergy itself has got some really um, amazing costing, costing capability and estimating capability. So estimating the value of something over time, you know, whether that's content marketing or whether that's change management or whatever it is, to the achievement of those benefits. So nominally... Any capability, if you spend $100 million on something, you'd want to see more than $100 million bucks worth of benefits. Um, uh, and the opportunity loss for developing $100 million worth of capability and, and, and then it's sitting in the corner and it's a, a box with you know a bit of tin with lots of lights flashing on it and nobody's <laughs> using it, well, you've lost $100 million bucks and you've probably cost another $100 million bucks because people have been uh, faffing around trying to understand how they use it. Mm. So you can tie... You can tie, um, uh, you know, some of that content, content marketing, change management, communications, um, uh, to the benefit story that needs to occur. In fact, you should. You must. I think we are going to do a specific podcast on that, and we might get the the tools out, and we'll get you to come over here, and we'll sit down again, and we'll do some real calculations because I think if we are in a position where we can give people the tools as to because again this has been a you know the eternal challenge of of communications is that how do you value you know how do you create and how do you create that in such a form that gets people's attention and i think you've really hit on it here that it's got to be some sort of roi calculation but a robust roi cal calculation not just something that you've made some sort of estimate uh, around so um i reckon that could be a really uh, how do we calculate the roi of content marketing in a government and public sector um com uh, space uh sounds like a i'd be delighted okay fantastic delighted. well we will uh, i will hold you to that and we'll do that in a few weeks time um, but kim thanks very much thanks very much for your insights thanks thanks for your value i know there's so much there for because it is a big change. And again, communicators are generally focused on that external, you know, what is that external audience? But again, this content marketing process, as we're finding at Content Group, is just as relevant to that internal audiences. And again, around those big ICT um, projects, but around just general change that is now our constant, um, you know, bedfellow. We are, it is with us now. We have to get used to it. And so how do we use it just to make it that little bit easier for people to continue to do their jobs so they can be relevant and they continue to make a contribution such that they can strengthen communities and improve the well-being of citizens. So, Kim Muller, thanks very much for, for joining us and thanks to you, everyone, for joining us once again to listen to In Transition. Really appreciate your, uh, your uh, dialing in and look forward to this ROI on content marketing in government and public sector. I think that's going to be a winner. So look forward to speaking to you next week. Bye for now. You've been listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in the public sector. For more, visit us at contentgroup.com.au.